Lord, how can it be? Take your Bibles with me, and uh, let's turn together tonight to Exodus 28. Exodus 28. put an unusual picture up tonight, and I'll explain it in a moment for those of you that are unsure. I promise, though, Caleb didn't make a mistake. That's the right picture, Caleb. By the way, i got to share this. It's not Caleb's fault. Uh, it's Darren's fault. We'll blame Darren. Uh, it was a lack of communication Friday night. We forgot to tell both of them, but uh, we had the joke with Eric. He talked about, you know, he spent three minutes talking about he only had five minutes, and Pastor Wilkerson was giving him a hard time. And uh, Darren came to me after the service Thursday night. He said, oh, we should have put a timer up there. You know, the timer we had during a conference, and we should have put it up. And so all of a sudden, there was a, like an atomic bomb went off in my brain. And I grabbed Kale, uh, Colton. I'm like, you got to find me a video. And uh, so we, we made the video. Do we have it up there? I pull it up. That's a timeout. We'll just pretend the service has, you know, it's timeout. Anyway, I made, a, I made a timer just for a mod. All week we had sheep. Sheep walking around, sheep running around. So this is going to be the last timer. And I thought, you know, it needs to be sheep-themed. But since it was a mod, I thought it needed to be appropriate for a mod. Did we find it back there, fellas? I showed it to a mod, but I want everyone to see it. Especially after Colton spent an hour creating it. I don't want to lose it. Anyway, I... I asked Ahmad, we had supper together Friday night, and I talked to him about it, and he talked about, oh, you can't put a time on me. I was setting it up. And uh, then I mentioned uh, about Mitra, uh, about her roasting uh, lamb for us. You know, I, was, I set everything up and ready, and uh, then we put the wrong timer up. We'll get it up for you in a minute. We'd find it. We didn't find it. You got it there, Caleb? Hold on, we got it? You know, we're just waiting, not a big deal. Oh, he's going to bring it. Here we go. Are you ready? Anyway, this was supposed to be the final timer. It was a lamb roasting. <laughs> I thought that was very appropriate, amen? Anyway, take your Bibles and turn to Exodus 28. Exodus 28. How many of you are hungry right now? That made me hungry. Can you call Mitra and tell her that she needs to bring some more? Hey, Mitra, where are we? Get me right there. Bring us some lamb. Where's the camera? I'll find it. All right there. Bring us some lamb, Mitra. Uh, take your Bibles there, Exodus 28, verse 33 through 36. I apologize. The preacher was a bit long-winded this morning. He hadn't preached in a week, so that's probably why. Uh, I'll try not to be tonight. Exodus 28, verse 33. And beneath, upon the hem of it, thou shalt make pomegranates of blue and of purple and of scarlet. Round about the hem thereof, and bells of gold between them round about. A golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate, upon the hem of the robe round about. And it shall be upon Aaron to minister, and his sound shall be heard when he goeth into the holy place before the Lord. And when he cometh out, that he die not. And thou shalt make a plate of pure gold, and engrave upon it like the engravings of the signet, holiness. To the Lord. Turn over to chapter 39 of Exodus with me, if you will. Exodus 39 and verse 22. 
we have here another description of that garment, that priestly garment, the robe of Aaron. In verse 22, it says, And he made the robe of the ephod of woven work, all of blue. And there was a hole in the midst of the robe, as the hole of an haberjon, and a band round about on the hole that it should not rend. And they made upon the hems of the robe pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet, and twined linen. And they made bells of pure gold, and put the bells between the pomegranates upon the hem of the robe round about between the pomegranates. A bell and a pomegranate, a bell and a pomegranate round about the hem of the robe to minister in as the Lord commanded Moses. Let's pray together. Lord, tonight I love the opportunity to come together with my church family tonight. I love these folks. I love this book. Lord, I ask you if you'd use it this evening to help us. Lord, would you help us in our balance of life? Lord, as we see the picture of the high priest robe, Lord, as we see the balance there between the pomegranate and the bells, Lord, as we look at some other scriptures tonight to bring into focus our need for balance, Lord, I pray you'd minister to hearts. Lord, I pray you minister to mine. God, help me to teach and preach and write your word. Lord, would your will be done this evening. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Unusual. The picture there, of course, as you may have already known, at least I hope by now you do, a representation of the bottom of the priestly robe, Aaron's robe. I love that phrase that we read in Exodus 28, that he die not. Understand, whenever the priest would go into the Holy of Holies, only he could go. And if that priest went in wrongly before God's presence, God would kill him. So literally, he would take and they'd tie a rope around the priest. And he would go through that veil separating the holy place from the Holy of Holies. And only the priests could go in there. And with those bells interspersed, the pomegranate bell, pomegranate bell, all around the robe, as the priest would serve and make offering and apply the blood as he was moving, there was the jingling of those golden bells. And there was someone, one of the Levites, no doubt, inside the holy place, not the Holy of Holies, but inside the holy place, it had to hold on to the rope. And I'm sure the whole time Aaron and the other priests later were there, I'm sure they're praying, oh, God, I hope I don't have to pull them out. Oh, God, I hope I don't have to pull them out. Oh, God, please don't kill them. But had the priest gone in wrongly, the bells would have stopped eventually. And one of the Levites would have had to have pulled the dead body of the priest out from the holy place, the holy of holies. But as you see that picture before you tonight, as you think of that, and we see it mentioned several times, a, a bell and a pomegranate, a bell and a pomegranate. I believe God does that on purpose, that we see the picture of the balance there, even in the priestly attire. And I want to look just very simply and very plainly tonight at a few passages, and I, I really don't plan on being long tonight. 
I know that doesn't mean anything, Brother Eric, but I don't plan on being long tonight, but I want to give you just a couple of thoughts about balance. Every one of you tonight can think of somebody who's out of balance. Somebody who has got the wrong balance in their life, in their relationships, in their Christian walk. When you get out of balance, you fall. I was walking down the stairs the other night after the conference, and I said to someone, be careful. I said, you don't want to fall on the stairs like I fell last year. Mrs. Wilkerson was in front of me, and she said, Brother Rice, didn't you fall on the stairs inside the building a few months ago? I said, yes, ma'am. I'm pretty good at falling downstairs. Uh, we get out of balance, and we fall. And spiritually, we need to be in balance. And I want you to look just very simply a couple of things tonight. Would you turn to the book of James? And I know we've, we've looked at the book of James a bunch the last couple of weeks, and that's, that's not accidentally, that's on purpose. But I want you to look back there again with me, and I know we're going to look at James again uh, on Wednesday night. But James chapter 2, a passage that we spent some time in a few weeks ago, verses 14 through 18. Number one, I want to talk to you about balance between faith and works. Balance between faith and works. The Bible tells us here in James 2, verse 14, What doth it profit, my brethren? Though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, and a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Now, when we speak of the balance between faith and works, let me say tonight, and I, I think that goes without saying, but I have to say it because I want to make sure we stay true to doctrine of Scripture. We're not speaking of a balance of getting to heaven or a balance for salvation. Can I tell you there is no balance of faith and works? The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works. There's not even one work, not even a drop of work. Uh, you put one little drop of works into salvation, you don't have salvation. Uh, salvation is all of grace, completely. All of faith, completely. Uh, I, I, loved, I loved what Pastor Wilkerson said the other night as he was speaking about that Indian man that owned the restaurant. As he said, I want to make sure that he didn't just take Christianity as another God to put on his shelf of gods. That's not the gospel. I had to deal with that every week when I was in college working with folks from Cambodia. The Cambodian, Cambodian folks, dear Cambodian refugees in Chicago I dealt with, they had no problem if I asked them to receive Jesus Christ as another God that they could worship. They were welcome to do that. They were happy to have another idol. That didn't bother them at all. That didn't affect their sensibilities in the least. It was inside of a Cambodian family's home that I did something that I thought I would never do. I remember reading my Bible as a boy and reading about all, eating food offered to idols. I thought, man, I'll never have to worry about that. I was sitting in a home one day having... Uh, this uh, rice, sticky rice wrapped in banana leaf and uh, Cambodian uh, food. And I'm eating it. Boy, it's good stuff. And I'm like, man, this is good. And I'm like, man, these people don't have money. 
Where'd you get this? Oh, yeah, we made this, took it to the temple. We uh, offered it and just brought it back. <laughs> All of a sudden, I wasn't hungry anymore. But those dear Cambodian people, I had to learn as I shared the gospel with them. I had to be very specific. And by the way, you have to be very specific with religious people of any, of any stripe. I don't care if they're Muslim or Catholic or Buddhist, but religious people have no problem adding some more to their religion. I had to be very specific when I shared Christ, as preacher talked about the other night with that dear man from India, that, hey, when you're trusting Christ, you're rejecting and denouncing all false religion, everything uh, speaking to your ancestors, all of that. So, Pastor, didn't you make people mad? Oh, yeah, once in a while but I didn't send them to hell. I didn't lie to them to make them happy. Now, as we think about salvation, it's all of faith, it's none of works. We're talking about as a believer, not before salvation, but now that I'm saved on this side of the gospel, as a believer, I need a balance of faith and works. In other words, yes, for salvation, I trust the Lord Jesus Christ wholly as by grace through faith, but I'm supposed to have a live salvation, a living salvation. I, was, I had a moose roast for lunch today, and uh, Rebecca and I were together when I shot that moose, and we saw it way up on this hill, and I got out, and I looked at Rebecca. I said, it's too far, and she said, go ahead, Dad, shoot it. I shot him. I watched as the bullet hit him, and he started running, and I... I shot him again. I watched it hit him again. He ran in the bush. My heart was pounding 100 miles a minute. And I ran up the hill. I did run, didn't I? That's pretty amazing. But this fat guy ran, and it was uphill. And I yelled at Rebecca, bring the truck, bring the truck. I was out of breath. My heart was racing. And she pulled the truck up, and uh, she got out. And I said, we got to go find it. And she said, Dad, I hear it. I hear it thrashing around. I said, well, let's walk up. Let's, follow, let's find where I shot it. Let's follow the tracks and the spore into the bush. Find the moose. So we go in the, in the, in the bush and see it laying there on its side, kind of making a few moves. You know, it's, it's done. And I start walking closer to it, Brother Cram. And when I started to take a couple steps, that dude stood up. He looked at me like I owed him money. His eyes rolled back in his head, literally. Uh, Josh has seen it happen. Man, the guy's eyes rolled back, and he started coming at me. And my heart raced a little bit. Rebecca cried. Yeah, maybe not. And I <laughs> put two shots in him, and he hit the dirt. Now my heart is really pounding. I mean, I am just about that close to having a heart attack, uh, waiting for the STARS ambulance to come and rescue me. And I'm just, <gasps> Rebecca comes up. We're so excited. He's dead laying there. I took a few steps up. As I get a little closer, I get about from here to LJ. He starts to get up again. That dude wanted me bad. But there came a point uh, after the last uh, lead pill that I gave him. Uh, he didn't get up anymore. Now, for a while, he was, he was up, and he was trying to get me, and he was, uh, he was moving around. But eventually, it got to where Rebecca laid down on top of him. We got a picture of her leaning on top of the moose. 
we're laying beside of them, smiling, hugging the moose. Uh, we're all around them. I, he was there, but he was dead. Now, Rebecca was afraid. When I said, hey, lay on top of him. I want a picture so we can see the size. She's like, Dad, you sure he's dead? <laughs> you, you, you sure it's okay? And she'll tell you, even when we touched him, the nerve's still twitching. She just about didn't get on top of him. Uh, he was dead. But he moved a little bit. I'm afraid a lot of our Christian lives, we ain't moving. And we're born again. By the way, your, your, your works don't affect your salvation before you get saved or after you get saved. But you're like a dead man and a dead woman. God wants us to have a balance. As you picture the balance of that pomegranate and bell and pomegranate and bell, I think God we see here in James wants to, us to have a balance of faith and works. He wants us to live out our faith. You know, when someone gets baptized, it is a picture of what happened inside when they got saved. Why? Because I can't see on the inside. You know, when you got saved, I couldn't see what happened inside of you. You know, Brother Eric gave his testimony the other night. Uh, praise God for Friendster. Amen, Brother Eric? Uh, I was never part of Friendster, but I'm sure glad it existed. So you finally got saved, you dirty, rotten reprobate. And, you know, when Eric got saved, now... God began to work and do some changes in Eric's life. But when Cheryl saw him the day after he got saved, she couldn't see in his heart. When she talked to him and he said, hey, I got, I got saved. I finally got it settled. She couldn't see inside of him. She couldn't see the Holy Ghost residing inside of him. Now, when he got baptized, she could see that, an outward picture of what happened on the inside. Can I tell you, the lost world needs to see a living faith, not a dead faith <laughs> laying there. You don't know how many people who have walked in my office and looked up at that deer on my wall and went, Pastor, is that real? I'm like, yeah, it's, it's real. They back up a little bit. I'm like, the skin's real. I said, but inside of it's nothing but styrofoam. Like, <laughs> it's, it's not real alive real. It's just it once lived and now it's stuffed a lot of Christians are a lot like that deer. We look real. <laughs> yeah, we may dress right. We may talk like a Christian. But we don't do anything like a Christian. We don't live out our faith. I want us to have that balance. Why? So we can be effective. So we can be effective in ministry. So People like Eric who need the gospel can have someone who's living out their faith like Cheryl would say, hey, you need to get saved. And he could say, you know what? That's real. That's real. You know, if she was living out in sin like the devil, she'd have still been saved if she was a born-again Christian. But her testimony to Eric wouldn't have meant a whole lot. Wouldn't have meant a whole lot at all. But it was that living out faith. We need a balance we need to keep that balance of faith and works. Not for salvation, not to keep our salvation, not, not so we can earn it, but so we can be effective, so we can be living out our faith. Number two, look, if you will, at James 1, back a page, James 1, 22. And then we're going to skip back to the Gospels for a second. 
I said, number one, we need a balance between faith and works. Number two, we need a balance between hearing and doing. James 1.22, be ye not doers of the word. Be ye doers of the word, excuse me, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Turn to Matthew chapter 7 with me. Matthew chapter number 7, verse 24. Matthew 7, 24, the Bible says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and, that's a very important word, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and, verse 24, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. Now, we need a balance between hearing and doing. Did you know that God did not make you to be a sponge just to soak up truth? We got to soak up a lot of truth this week. If you got to be a part of our uh, services throughout the week, and uh, maybe you listened on live stream, maybe you're here in person, you got to soak up some wonderful stuff. Pastor Wilkerson, when he preaches uh, in his introduction, uh, he gives about 732 outlines. You could preach for six years just there. And I was talking to Brother Gerald about it yesterday. Man, just for 10 minutes, it's just outline and sermon after sermon. And then all of a sudden, he, then he preaches. Uh, a lot of truth. I had a couple of preachers message me. He said, Pastor, I don't, I'm gonna, it's going to take me a year to digest everything we got this week. And we, we got a lot. But God wants us to have a balance. God wants us to be hearers and doers. Hearers and doers, not just hearers. Too often we hear, we, we know truth, we, we, we can repeat it, but are we doing it? Are we doing what we know? There's supposed to be a balance there. And when we get out of balance, God says if we do those and do them, God says I'll liken you to a wise man. Can I tell you what the opposite of that is, the opposite side of that coin? God says if you don't do them, you're a fool. We're foolish. For us to just hear, hold on, hold on, Pastor, I'm, I'm hearing good stuff. How can I be a fool if I hear good stuff? If I hear it and don't do it, I'm foolish. I've got to do what I hear. I've got to put it in practice. I've got to take that truth uh, and balance it between hearing and doing. My pastor many years ago used to preach what he called his, his silent sermon. And his silent sermon went something like this. He would imitate going to God and asking God and God giving him something and him taking it and giving it out. What we want to do? And all of a sudden, nothing. I wonder why. Because God wants a balance. God wants to use you. He 
He wants to give us truth that we put in practice. Truth that we use. There's a lot of folks that could stand behind this pulpit. They could preach truth. They know all the answers. But they have never put it in practice. There's a phrase that I don't like very much, Brother Gerald. I know you don't like it much either. The phrase that's used is a supposedly a joke. No, it's, it's not a to me it's not a funny joke. It's not true at all, but I've heard it said that those that can do and those that can't teach. Brother Gerald, I know you've heard that before. What a wrong philosophy. The fact is, the most effective teachers, the, the teachers that affect us the most are those who show us how to do it. If you think back to the person who was the best teacher you ever had, I've, I've, in my mind's eye, I've got a, a man, his name is Jan Haddix. I just connected with him a few weeks ago. He was the principal of our school. He was my teacher. I learned so much from that man when I was just a young guy. Greatest teacher, one of the greatest teachers I've ever met. But he was a master. He was a master of not just saying, okay, you do this. He would show people how to do it. We had a lot of kids in our school system, in our school, it was a very small country school, and we had a lot, in that small country school, there was a large percentage of kids with learning disabilities, a very large, out of balance percentage in that little country school. It would have been a tough school to teach in. And it was a school that had three classrooms, grade one and two in one room with one teacher. How'd you like that, brother? Uh, grade, uh, grade three and four in one room with one teacher. Grade five and six, one room, one teacher. Three teachers, grade one through six. Mr. Haddix was a master at showing and teaching. One of the most difficult things that a lot of the kids struggled with was mathematics. You ever found that to be the case, Brother Gerald? Some, some folks struggle with mathematics. And he had a method of teaching math uh, we're talking elementary math. We're not talking calculus and trigonomics and algebra. Uh, we're talking about math when they still use numbers and not letters. Uh, but you ever heard of chism bop? You ever heard of that before? You'd use your fingers. And he, he may have invented it. I don't know. But I remember watching him. Math was easy for me, but I remember watching him teach math to kids that I had gone to school with for four years who could barely figure out one plus one. And I watched as she showed them how visibly to see it. And all of a sudden they got it. Because he didn't just tell them, he showed them. Christian, we need to take what God has given us and put it in practice. Not just for us. We need to put it in practice to help other people. You know, if I know all kinds of truth, and I go to Brother Mike and I say, Mikey, well, you need to know this truth I got. You need, you need to do this, and you need to do that, and you need to do that. And Brother Mike looks at me and says, well, Pastor, when are you going to start doing it? It's not going to be effective. So it's not just for me in obedience to Christ. It's also for others. That balance of life doesn't just affect you. It affects everyone around you. We've got to have that balance between hearing and doing. Not just, yeah, I heard that, yeah, I heard that. Okay, I'll, I'll do this. No, I heard that. I'm going to do it. 
All right, what did God say? Okay, if God said it, it's settled. That's the way it ought to be. It ought to be when we learn, and we all have learning to do. We all have growing to do. It ought to be that we're putting in practice that what we know to do as we learn. Number three, turn to Matthew 6, back just a page. Mountain Park Water. Man, that sounds fancy. Matthew 6. Tastes like water. Verse 6. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. When thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father, which is in secret, and thy Father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. And I believe this one right here is a big one. I'm not going to dwell on it, but I want, you to, I want you to get this tonight. We need a balance between our secret and our public life. A balance between our secret and our public life. A balance between your home life and your outside the home life. A balance between your life with your friends at work and your life with friends at church. You know, we, we look at statistics, and, and, I, and, I, and I'm not saying statistics are not something to, to look at. We should look and study them. We're, we're going to spend some time sometime the next week, uh, Brother Colton and I, going through some statistics and some notes from folks from our conference that we plan next year. Nothing wrong with statistics. But we look at statistics of, of teenagers who graduate from high school and then leave the church. And I'll tell you right now, the numbers are high. Numbers are high. And we try to bring all kinds of reasons. We say, oh, you know, the Sunday school teacher, he's a lousy Sunday school teacher. If he didn't have a better job teaching the teenagers, I mean, it's all a mod's fault. And we, we try to find somebody. And that, if Pastor Rice could preach his way out of a wet paper sack, maybe the teenagers would stay. And if we could organize a program, maybe we'd have something. If, if Colton, where's Colton? If Colton could actually have a teen activity that wasn't useless, and uh, I'm just obviously joking tonight. But we look at all the reasons. You know one of the biggest reasons? And you teenagers know it's true. The biggest reasons, a lot of our teenagers, and I don't mean the teenagers here tonight, I mean a lot of teenagers across the board statistically, when they leave home, they leave church too. Because they realize, as they look at their parents, church is a joke. Christian life is nothing but a fake show. I mean, mom and dad say this, but I, I know what they say at home. I know how they live. I know what they really believe. And I'm not interested in being fake. Teenagers are wonderful detectors of that which is false and that which is fake. I teased with Brother Maud. Brother Jason teased with me the night. Brother Maud, like some of you, came out of religion. And those of you that came out of religion rather than a relationship with Christ, you are very sensitive to those who are pharisaical. Can I say that word? You're very sensitive to those who are out of balance in that area. And I joke with Brother Ahmad, he's my meter. 
I can, I can have him talk to somebody, and he can give me a meter of how much of a Pharisee they are uh, because he's the master of Pharisees. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> Brother Mog came to me Wednesday night, and he said, Pastor Rice, he said, Pastor uh, Wilkerson doesn't even have one cell in his body. Uh, but you know who's better than he is? Teenagers. Oh, they'll tell you. Oh, they may not tell you because they don't want you to know, but they know. Brother Campo, you've seen it. How many years in ministry now? Seventeen. Yeah. Sadly, you've seen a lot of teenagers in your church. Good kids. Because mom and dad weren't the same at home as they were at church. You wept tears at night because they left. Their lives are a mess. And the parents want to blame you. They want to blame the church. They want to blame all kinds of reasons. But we got to say, I was out of bounds. See, it doesn't just affect you. I, I hope you get this tonight. This matter of balance is not just about you. It affects so much more. I worked for a company called True Green Chemlon years ago. I had a little truck. They called it a Rhino. And then I left the Rhino and I went to this international truck that had a big gel cap on the back. And I had two 300-gallon tanks of liquid and one 100-gallon tank of liquid. Three tanks, six, 700 gallons of liquid, as well as I had bags and bags and bags and bags of fertilizer and a spreader. And it was a big vehicle. And the first day I drove that vehicle, I, I have a heavy foot. Not like I used to, I don't anymore like I used to, but I used to have a really heavy foot. And I, wherever I went, I went there as fast as I could go, Brother Ahmad. Especially when it meant, meant making money for a business. You know, the, more, the, the quicker I got done, the quicker I got home to see my wife, the quicker I got done, the, uh, the more money I made in revenue. I was, it was, I used the gas pedal like an on-off switch. And I got in my truck, and man, I have to I'm going as fast as that thing will go. It didn't go that fast, but first day I drove that truck, I'm going and I'm getting off an exit on 8094, this big cloverleaf to go to a suburb, Mokina, Illinois. I had a buddy of mine behind me following me. He was going the same way. I had those tanks about three quarters of the way full. I'd never driven that truck before, and I took that curve as fast as that, that, as fast as it would go, right at the peak of the governor. I had it pinned. According to him, I had, when I went around that curve, the offside tires came almost two feet off the ground. I almost rolled it. I realized it, and instead of turning away from it like your reaction is, I knew enough to turn into the clover leaf and go down the hill and set the tires down and got it back on the road and I stayed upright. My buddy called me on the radio after he changed his underwear, I think, in the truck. <laughs> Scared him to death. He called and said, man, you almost died. He said, man, you, that truck went over, you almost, you would have died. I wouldn't have been the only one. I'd have hit somebody. It'd have been a major accident because I got out of balance. That water slosh into those tanks. Christian, we gotta be careful. We gotta have that balance. We've gotta be 
for the Lord Jesus Christ balanced in this matter of our private life and our public life. Turn to Romans 10. Romans 10 verse 2. We need a balance between knowledge and zeal. Romans 10, verse 2, For I bear them record. They have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Now, does that mean that I shouldn't have zeal? No. It means you better balance it out. You better balance it out. I make baked beans once in a while for different maybe for our church picnic in the summer. Brother Eric, when I make baked beans, if a diabetic eats them, they will die. I put so much brown sugar in those beans that it puts somebody in a uh, diabetic coma. But I don't like stuff real sweet. If all I put in those beans was brown sugar, Brother Mike, I couldn't eat them. I wouldn't like them. They'd be disgusting to me. So I have to balance them. So I put jalapenos in there. I put hot sauce in there. I put some vinegar in there. I put some mustard in there. I put some other spices in there, a little bit of chili powder, a little bit of cayenne powder. And I've got a balance. And as I'm going, I taste them and, and some more of this. And I don't have a recipe. The recipe's in my head. And my head's so hard to find stuff in, it's difficult. But I just kind of have to keep that balance going. Now, if all I put was the brown sugar and the molasses, masalga, they wouldn't be good. Now, if you like sugar, maybe you'd like them, but I wouldn't like them. Now, if, all, if I didn't put that in there and all I put was the hot stuff, Mitra could eat them, but nobody else could eat them uh, because they'd be balanced the other side. But you've got to get that balance. When it comes to knowledge and zeal, it's not God saying here, hey, Get rid of zeal. Don't be zealous. Just have some knowledge. There's a lot of people that believe that. By the way, there's also a lot of people like the Bible speaks of here. Whoa, they got the zeal, but they don't know anything. You don't know how many times I've heard a preacher preach. Not here, not here in this building. But I've heard a preacher preach. And I've listened to that preacher and went, that guy is preaching absolute heresy. I'm telling you. And the people in the congregation who have a King James Bible in their lap, they have the truth. They should know the truth. The guy's preaching heresy and all you hear is, Amen, preacher! And I'm like, what in the world is wrong with you? They got some zeal, but they ain't got no knowledge. But the other side of the coin is also true. You have those that have all the right knowledge. They've got all their ducks in a row. I'm not sure why you have ducks, but if you have ducks, you're supposed to have them in a row. All the ducks in a row, all their precepts, precept upon precept. And they got all the Bible knowledge and they're right doctrinally, but they're dead as 3 o'clock in the morning. And they have no zeal. They don't have a holy grunt. Just, yeah, we got everything. Man, we need a balance. And can I tell you, the, the kind of balance I believe we ought to have is the kind of balance, the reason I talked about my beans. I don't put just a little spoon of brown sugar, a little spoon of hot sauce. 
Now, most of you who are health conscious will never touch my beans again. But I take a bag, Miss Lois, a bag of, you know, the big bag of brown sugar. I don't measure it out. I open it up. <laughs> I drop the whole bag in there. And then I, man, I, I have to balance. I, man, I want a balance of everything. I want it all full tilt. Uh, I don't do anything halfway. I want it up all the way. But I believe God wants us to have a balance of zeal and knowledge. But I believe he wants both of those levels to come up. God wants us to have that balance. It's easy to get out of balance. It's real easy to get out of balance. As I mentioned, I, I, I know some preachers. Man, they got some zeal. Man, as Pastor Wilkerson used the phrase, man, they can shuck the corn, Brother Ron. But they don't even know about the corn. They don't know where corn came from. But at the same time, we need to make sure that we, as we have zeal, we also have knowledge. They have to be married together. They're no good single. They're no good separate, just like a husband and wife. Over a quarter of a century, my wife and I have been married. I'd be lost without her. I'd be useless. I'm pretty well useless with her, but I'd be even more useless without her. I, I wouldn't be able to function. We've been married too many years. I, I don't know what I would do. If I woke up tomorrow morning and there was a note on the pillow that said, I'm sorry, but you're just too bald. I had to leave. <laughs> you preached too long last night after you said you weren't going to preach very long. I'm leaving you. You used me as an illustration one too many times. I'm out of here. I'd probably have to call Brother Mott and say, Brother Mott, um, what do I wear today? Um, Miss Lois, what do I eat? I... <laughs> I wouldn't know. Like, how do you clean a toilet? I don't know how to do that. How do you, how do you, is there a washing machine? How does that happen? I, honestly, I, I wouldn't, I'd be in trouble. Same is true when you have only zeal. Oh, it looks good for a while, but it goes nowhere. It goes nowhere. Or if you have knowledge, and all you do is get that knowledge. And you never do anything with it. We need a balance. But don't fall into the trap. Don't fall in the trap that says, oh, keep, <laughs> just calm down. <laughs> calm yourself. Let's not get too excited. I don't believe that's the answer. The answer is not get rid of the zeal. The answer is keep the zeal. But make sure you bring the knowledge up to the same level. Or if you have the knowledge, don't get rid of the knowledge. Don't, you know, don't, don't become an idiot. Keep the knowledge, but make sure it's balanced with zeal. We've got to have that balance. It has to be there. Look at Isaiah chapter 40. Last verse we'll look at tonight, Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah 40, verse 31, most of you know this verse. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Number five, we need a balance between waiting on the Lord and stepping out by faith. Can I share an illustration with you from last year? 
Most of you remember that we're here, remember when I so gracefully went down the stairs on Boxing Evening, Boxing Day Evening. Tore my knee. I went to doctor appointment. I went to MRI. I went to x-ray. And I went three different doctors. And every day I went to a doctor. I think the doctor looked at me and went, oh, he's walking in. You're fine. And the doctor's like, okay, I want you to lift your leg. I'm like, doc, my leg is not connected. Oh, yeah, we're going to lift your leg and I'm going to drop it. And uh, one doctor, I'm like, doc, if you do that, I will hit you in the mouth. Like, I will hurt you. Like, you do not do that to my leg. It is, my leg is not connected. He just could not understand that my pain tolerance was so high. He didn't believe me. He thought I was faking. I'm like, there's nothing connecting my leg. But the final appointment before I was to go have surgery, I had to get to, and I was praying, oh, God, let me get, finally get in and get my leg fixed. And, of course, I was struggling to get around, and we had freezing rain and snow and ice that day. And walking down our sidewalk, our front sidewalk has a bit of a slope to it. And I thought, that's not going to be a good plan. Brother Bonnie, you remember what it was like there when you helped me home. And so I said to my wife, I said, sweetheart, can you, you go get the car? It was in the front. I said, can you drive around back in the alley? I'll walk through the yard because the yard was snow. And I'll hobble through the garage and... And then you can pick me up in the alley. What I didn't realize is the four-wheel drive wasn't working in our vehicle. And Carrie got stuck. And I'm calling her, and she's upset, and I'm upset. And I, I've got to get to the hospital. I have to be there. And I'm like, you got to. She's like, I can't go forward. She kept trying to go forward, and the car was sliding sideways, almost hitting vehicles. And finally, as I'm back there, I shouldn't have done this. I'm stubborn. I'm hard-headed. I know I'm an idiot. I, I get it. You don't have to tell me. But I finally said, well, I'm going to walk to where she is. Ice everywhere. I'm an idiot. Uh, but I, I had a cane, and I started walking down my alley that was solid ice. And I'm tied together with a brace, and I'm trying to keep from falling, and I thought, I'm just going to make it. I made it about halfway, well, I made it almost to the end of the alley. And finally, Carrie showed up, and she's like, what in the world are you doing? I'm like, well, I, I've got to get there. If I, have to walk, if I have to crawl there on my face, I'm going to find a way to get to the hospital. Now, I share that ridiculous story of me being an idiot because I want you to think of this matter of faith and waiting on the Lord. I don't think for a second that God wants us just to, when it talks about waiting on the Lord, okay, Lord, ah, I'm just going to wait on you. Yeah, when you do something, you let me know, Lord. That's what we want to do. We want to just do nothing. Now, we're, we are to wait on the Lord, but at the same time, we're to step out in faith. We're to go forward. Where to step out? I shared this story the other day with someone. My wife and I were in Bible college getting ready to graduate. I told my wife, I said, I've seen too many guys in Bible college come and not do what God called them to do. I knew all kinds of guys that went to the church there. They were good men. They were Christian men. They, God had called them to preach. God called them to ministry. They got a good job, making a lot of money. 
and they never went and did what they said God called them to do. And the way my brain is wired and my heart is wired, I told her, I said, okay, I said, the night of graduation, we are, the vehicle's packed and we are starting, we're hitting the road. I'm, we're out of here. We're going to do what God's called us to do. I did compromise, Brother Mott. I waited till the next morning. We didn't leave that night. But I remember her saying to me, are we going to make it? And I said, I don't know, God will take care of us. It was Christmas, Christmas break. We went to visit family. We were at a church in West Virginia where my parents used to attend. And I got up to give a five-minute testimony about what God was going to do with us and our direction. I was graduating in May. And I stood up and gave a quick testimony. I was getting ready to sit down, and as I got about right here, a man halfway back in the auditorium, there's a center aisle, big church on the right-hand side. He's in heaven tonight. He stood up. And he said, Preacher, it was a Wednesday night service. He just stood up and said, Preacher, I think we ought to vote to take Brian and carry on for support, missionary support, as soon as they start deputation. Amen. And Pastor Smith, I love Pastor Smith, Brother Jim Price was with him a few months ago. He looked back at the dear brother who's in heaven now and I don't know why he did it. Well, I know why now, but he said, how much do you reckon we ought to support him for, brother? And I know where the Lord, I know where the number came from, and he hollered up and said, preacher, I think we ought to give him $300 a month. I about had a heart attack. And I was, I was expecting Pastor Smith to go, yeah, I think $30 a month is a good amount, my brother. <laughs> Before I left the platform, brother, they voted to take us home with $300 a month. You know how much debt I had in the world? I had one bill. My bill was a 1998 Chevy Venture minivan I had a payment on. My payment was $300 and one cent. That's my wife. A check we wrote every month, $300 and one cent. Now, I believe the reason the Lord cared for that need ahead of time is because I already said, Lord, look, Lord, you're going to do it. I don't know where it's coming from, but we're going to step out by faith. Too often we're afraid to step out. All we want to do is wait. Okay, God, when you explain everything to me, I'm ready to go. God, when I really figure it all out, we need a balance. Yes, we need to wait on the Lord. But don't wait on the Lord at the expense of not stepping out of faith. There has to be the balance. And I'm going to ask you to turn to another scripture. But along with that, there's a balance between the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. You know what we want to do? We want to blame God. Well, God, the reason I didn't do that is because you didn't make me do it. The reason that it happened, Lord, it's your fault. Maybe you've heard of a guy named Adam. As God came and said, Adam, why'd you, why'd you disobey me? He didn't say, oh, sorry, Lord. I made a wrong choice. Forgive me. What did he say? The woman thou gavest me. He said, God, you're to blame. You're the one that gave me this woman. You gave me a flawed woman. You should have given me a better woman. If you gave me a better woman, I wouldn't have done this. Now hold on a minute. He had the perfect woman for him. Perfect. Why? Because God's the one that created her. Hey, husbands. God did the same for your wife. He was blaming God. He wasn't blaming Eve. He was trying to blame God. 
How many times have you tried to blame God this week? Well, if God would have done this, but you know, it just didn't happen. There's a balance. Yes, God suffered. Absolutely. But that doesn't take away the responsibility I have in obeying him. That doesn't take my responsibility away from following him and honoring the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed are the balanced. As you think of that robe as Aaron would walk, pomegranate bell, pomegranate bell, pomegranate bell. Oh, yes, so the, the bells could make the noise, but I believe a picture all throughout the priestly garb, we see that balance. And I believe as Christians, as New Testament Christians, we have no earthly priest, we have a high priest. Just like Aaron, I get to go into the Holy of Holies. I get to cry out directly to my God in his presence. And may when we go in his presence and when we leave his presence, may we go with balance in every aspect of life. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Help us, Lord, to be balanced. Lord, I know in my own life it's so easy to get out of balance. So easy to get things out of order. So easy to lean one way too far. Lord, I'm guilty. Lord, would you help us tonight to get to center? Help us tonight to get to balance. Lord, not just for ourselves, but Lord, for our children, for our children's children, for our coworkers, for our neighbors, for our community, for our world, for the cause of Christ. May we be balanced in every aspect of life. Lord, would you work in our hearts tonight during this time of invitation? May you be glorified. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing 489. 489, I surrender all.
you for being our perfect example. Lord, I thank you for the many examples you've given me in my life of spiritual leaders. But Lord, you're the only perfect example that I have. Lord, I pray that we would follow you. I pray you'd help us in areas of balance. Lord, probably all of us have some area of our life a little bit out of balance. And maybe tonight, Lord, someone is dangerously tipping in one aspect of the Christian life. Lord, I don't want to see a casualty. Lord, I pray that tonight, Lord, you'd work miracles in lives and hearts. And God, you'd set us straight, tilt us up where we ought to be. Help us to keep the balance as we honor you. Bless us, Lord. Dismiss us with your grace. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Don't